Good morning, everyone. So David this morning is in Chicago running the Chicago Marathon. And when he decides to leave for a week, he usually leaves the person filling in for him a few things. He will either say, you know, here's a scripture I want you to preach on, or here's a theme I want you to preach on, or a sermon series that I want you to preach on. And sometimes he leaves nothing. But today, however, is the first time that I think he left me not only a scripture, not only a theme, not only a sermon series, but also a sermon title. And that title is Overflow with Humility as we continue our look into Philippians. And now that's a great title, but like I actually thought of a better one. And because he's not here to tell me what to do today, I'm actually changing the title. So. I'm calling today secretly awesome. <laughs> so let's, let's jump into this. Today we find ourselves in Philippians 2, and our scripture is verses 1 through 11. Now, this scripture is a theologically debated scripture, and I love that kind of stuff. So we're going to come back to that in a few minutes and talk about that. But this scripture is broken down into two sets of verses. 1 through 5 and 6 through 11. And so verses 1 through 5 reads, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and any sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accordance and be of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition, nothing of conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul begins chapter 2 with a continued plea from chapter 1 a call to the church of Philippi to live in unity. So that would make us assume that there was some form of disunity happening in the church. So you can't help but wonder what that was. Now, we know that Paul wrote this to a specific church with specific needs, and many scholars point to a spat that was going on between two people in this church. And he suggests that Paul was writing to encourage these people involved, that if we believe in Christ, there is more to life than these small problems that they were dealing with. So that makes you wonder, what exactly was going on? Well, I think that the answer is that church was going on. If you get a room full of church people together, you could be split on just about anything. You'd have half the church get up and walk out of the sanctuary when the color carpet that they recommended got vetoed by everybody else. So there is no doubt that there was strife going on in this church. And he is trying to help them move through this time. So he then lays out a few ways that they can achieve this unity. He says, humble yourselves, put others before yourselves. And I don't know about you all, but that's not just good church advice. That's good life advice for a marriage or for dealing with family members or for getting along in the workplace. But it's easier said than done. So how does Paul answer? 
His response to this spat between these two people was an old hymn. It's an old hymn that the whole church would have known that was reading it. And that's what verse 6 through 11 is. It reads, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So let's back up for just a second. I mentioned a minute ago that this is a hotly debated text. And the debate actually comes from verse 5. And it says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now in verse 5 in the Greek, it was written without a verb. And so as it was being translated, a verb was required to make it a readable sentence. And translations of this verse are split about down the middle because the translator had to make a decision on what verb to use and then what tense of the verb to use. The other translation says, have this mind among yourselves. Now, I know that this sounds similar and the debate probably sounds silly and sounds like a splitting of hairs, but how we read verse five affects how we read verses six through 11. The second translation, the one that is not on the screen, lends itself to have us read the ensuing verses as sort of a recap of Jesus's life. It has us remember what Jesus was like. It has us read the hymn as Jesus was humble, Jesus was a servant, and so on. But the verse that's on the screen, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, it doesn't challenge us just to recount Jesus's life. Instead, it challenges us to be as the same mind of Jesus, to live the same life that Jesus lived. It says that Jesus was a servant, so you should be too. It says that Jesus was humble, so you should be too. And so the debate is, do we remember Jesus or do we be like Jesus? And here's the thing with this translation problem. Neither are wrong. They're both correct. And that's what makes this topic for today so hard. Because speaking of humility is significantly easier than practicing humility. Remembering that Jesus was humble is easy. Being humble like Jesus is hard. Remembering that Jesus lowered himself to a servant is easy. Actually lowering ourselves to a servant is hard. So it asks us to put the needs of others ahead of our own. And this path of following Jesus is to lower ourselves and to elevate others. And this is a hard challenge to take. It's a hard path to follow this path of humility in our age of the selfie, when everybody wants to be their own star in their own highlight reel. And now this translation debate is minor compared to what it is asking us to do. Because oftentimes we would rather see to our own needs instead of to others' needs. 
And now when I think of humility, the first person that comes to my mind is St. Francis of Assisi. If you're unfamiliar with him, he was a man who lived or he was born in 1181. He was the son of a wealthy store owner, and he began to get visions from God. He believed that it was his job to reunite the church around the main mission of poverty. And now his wealthy father did not like this idea that his son had for his life. And so attention came to a head when Francis bought an old rustic church that needed to be fixed up. And so in order to fix it, he took some cloth from his dad's store and he sold it. This led to a father-son fight, which concluded with Francis giving everything that his father had given him, the money, the clothes off his back, everything, and giving it back to his dad and declaring God as his new father. That was known as Francis's final conversion as he began his life of chosen poverty. He began his life of humility. He turned away from the wealth and the safety that he had, and he chose to live among the poor. Now, this summer, I had the opportunity to go to Assisi and to visit the place that Francis called home. This first picture on the screen is the Basilica of St. Mary of the Angels in Assisi. All over the place, there are these huge, massive churches like this one. And as you walk around these places, you get a reminder of what the church has done in the world. You see the buildings, and you just have to stop and look at them and say, wow. But sometimes we forget what is at the heart of what we do as a church. We forget what is at the heart of being a Christian. We get caught up in the shiny and the glamorous and the big. We get caught up in the walking on water and the multiplying of fish that Jesus did, and we forget what was at the center of who Jesus was. Now, inside of this enormous church, right in the middle of it, is a much smaller church. It's a church that's about 10 feet wide and 15 feet long. And this was St. Francis's original church. Right in the heart, right in the center of this massive building is a reminder of what should be at the center of the church, what should be at the center of us as Christians, which is humility. This humility and this servant nature of Christ should be at the very core of who we are. So what does it look like to overflow with humility? We become non-judging. We listen before we speak. We lend a helping hand. We stand beside those who have no one to stand with them, and we seek nothing in return. We strive every day to live the life that Jesus set before us, a life of servanthood, even though he was God, a life of caring for the least of these, even though he was the greatest of these, a life of washing people's feet, even though he was a king. So what does this look like in practice? So in the Disney movie, The Incredibles, you have a big guy who just like casually works a desk job, but he knows deep down that he's a superhero. So he's sitting at his job and he's doodling all of these costumes for what he wants him and his gang to wear. And so he takes them to this costume lady named Edna. And does anybody remember what Edna told him? No capes. Real humility 
looks like a bunch of you all, superheroes, running around with no capes on. Bob Goff explains this by saying, instead of promoting all of the great things that we're doing in the world, instead of wearing hoodies or making trendy bracelets about it, instead of writing big mission statements, we should just simply go do it. He says, if you want a mission statement, you should write, be awesome on your undershirt. Something that no one will ever see, but a reminder to just keep making a difference. And I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus would do all of these cool things and then say, tell no one. He cured sick people and would say, don't tell anybody. He raised a little girl from the dead and said, tell no one. Jesus lived a life that had be awesome written on his undershirt. So if we believe, which I do, that in verse 5, our scripture calls us to live the same life as Jesus, then we all need to get to work on our own undershirts. This summer, KJ, Jessica, and myself had the opportunity to take some of our juniors and seniors to Belize with Hand in Hand Ministry. They spent the week building a home for a family that had no place to live. They took on a role of the servant, and they made it an action, and they helped change a family's life forever. They didn't do it for money. In fact, they paid a lot of money to go on the trip. They didn't do it for recognition. They didn't do it with capes on. Instead, they just simply went to help. They traded their capes for work gloves and a hammer, and I think that is what humility looks like. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Now, as we lean into this life of Christ, as we aim to live like Jesus, may we remember that at the heart of living like Christ is a heart of humility. And as MLK said, is a heart of service. If we live the life that Christ lived, we will have the capability to make a difference in the world. Some in big ways, some in much smaller ways. When we lower ourselves to the place of a servant, we have the capability to change people's lives forever. So the next time that you see someone that your gut is urging you to help, just look at your undershirt and be awesome in that moment. Then after you help them, button your shirt back up, leave the cape behind, and wait until you're needed again. Living the life of being secretly awesome is how we overflow with humility. And I want to challenge you all this week to find a way to be so filled with the love of Christ, so filled with the servanthood and the humility of Christ, that you overflow those same things to someone else who needs it.